Welcome to another David McCracken Ministries podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. It's a great joy to be with you, great privilege, and thank you for allowing me. It's, it's a buzz. And it says a lot for their faith that they allow someone who's about to turn 76 actually on the platform, you know. Um, but the, uh, you can be seated, be seated. I want to talk, I want to share with you, but I want us to, you know, I'm a firm believer that it's better felt than felt. And so I want us to forget everybody to the left and right at this moment. Close your eyes, do whatever you have to do, but you ask a simple prayer, and that is the next uh, 31 minutes and 22 seconds. You will hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. That you will hear him. Father, I thank you, Lord, that in this room right now, There are many, many people, Father, that you want a direct prophetic word to in these next 30 minutes in this collective word that I bring. And Father, you knew that they were here. You love them indescribably. You accept them unconditionally. And Father, in the next 30 minutes, you will give them a rhema that will cause the resurrection of the dreams you originally gave them. Father, we say that no matter what time has passed over those commissions and dreams given in previous days, they will live again. And Father, they shall achieve that purpose for which you gave them. And we give you alone the honor in Jesus' name. In Jeremiah 33, going to take the very first uh, line only. Um, we, where's the PowerPoint, guys? Right. Okay. If you want a title for whatever I'm on, is the resurrection of dreams. Jeremiah 33, verse 1, the opening statement says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. Well, pause, pause for a second. Why? Why would the word of the Lord come to Jeremiah a second time? Uh, I mean, when God spoke to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, it was incredibly clear, incredibly empowering, called to be a prophet. I mean, astounding commission that was given to this man. So why does God have to speak to him the second time? Why? Well, that's because, my friends of where he was. Let's put up the rest of that verse. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time whilst he was still shut up in the court of the prison. The reason why God had to speak to him the second time is because of where he was. He was in a time of restriction and confinement. He was in the court of the prison. Everything around him said that what God originally spoke to him about now could never come to pass. But I want you to notice that he wasn't in the prison. Very significant. He was in the court of the prison. 
I'm not splitting hairs. There's a world of difference between the two if you understood the, uh, and the custom of the day. If they had a prisoner that was a common person, they flung him in prison. If they had someone that they wanted to still allow to have certain amount of dignity, a certain amount of respect, uh, um, but completely restrict them, completely confine them, but give them a measure of recognition, then they would put them in the court of the prison. And so this is quite significant because sometimes the enemy comes against that which God has birthed in you and he knows he's out to utterly destroy it, destroy you, but then he comes up against certain people that he can't destroy. He, he knows it's going to be futile. He knows that you love God. He knows that you're passionate for Jesus. He knows, he knows that you're given over to the, a person of the Holy Spirit. You love the Word of God. There's no way he's going to wipe you off the planet. So he doesn't put you in the prison. As long as he can get you in the court. It's a, it, it, you see, the difference between the two is you're allowed to keep a certain amount of dignity. You're allowed to keep your image. You're allowed to keep uh, so much of a little bit here and a little bit there of freedom, but that which God commissioned you to do is going to be denied you. It's a place of confinement. It's a place of restriction. And suddenly you wake up one morning and you say, my God, what what actually, uh, it's a respectable life, but but whatever happened to what you spoke to me? In my heart so many years ago, where is it? Where is it? And this is where Jeremiah was in Jeremiah 33, verse 1. But I'm glad it doesn't finish there. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. The Lord who formed it in order to establish it. My friends, I'm going to make a statement. God never starts anything he doesn't intend to finish. Now, the call of God and the commission of God in your heart can know pushbacks, can know delays, can know opposition, confinement, seasons of restriction. But I've got to tell you this today, that once God has spoken, once that commission has been given to you, once that call has, been, has entered your heart, the call itself, the commission itself, is eternal and indestructible. You cannot destroy the Word of God. You, when God spoke, there was. When God spoke, it was created. And once it was created, no force in hell can uncreate it. And when God Almighty he speaks into your spirit there is no demon in hell that can destroy the call of God or the commission of God in your heart because the call itself is eternal I said in one of the earlier sessions here that our faith doesn't actually create anything it's simply you see, the moment God speaks, it's created. All our faith and our obedience does is draw it from the realm of his reality into the realm of our reality. 
and we see it happen suddenly in the tangible, and we think the miracles occurred. No, the miracle was the moment he spoke it. You see, God's a creator, so when he gives a call to you, and he gives you a commission, everything necessary to see that come to pass is already created automatically. Why? Because his word creates it. And when you step out in obedience and faith, you simply draw that which is already created by his word into the tangible world of your reality. And so with that call, the commission that God placed in your heart originally and burst, you know, that flamed you and caused you to be so excited about the day, that's not dead. That's very much alive. When COVID struck, I was in Nashville speaking to the blogging company and a whole bunch of others and stuff. And somewhere between LA and Nashville, while I was in the air, COVID struck. And, and I landed and all the meetings were canceled. And so they had to make this mad scurry and assemble, I think it was 30 at a time or something, in a multiplicity of places, there's 30 people, and somehow we went ahead with everything. But because my ministry is largely either interstate or international, and so (laughs) I landed back in Melbourne, and for the first time, I've been preaching now for 56 years, and for the first time in my entire life, I had 100% cancellations because of COVID. There wasn't one single booking left in my diary. And I thought, okay, this is different. And we're getting used to that. Some of you heard the story, but I'm just repeating it for the it's very relevant, you see. And then our ministry center burns to the ground. My office, my studio, all the staff area, everything down there. 56 years of Bibles. Um, everything was destroyed in one night. And we're recovering from that. And my wife starts getting crushed fractures. One after the other, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And I was watching her shrink in front of my eyeballs. And then I had a few ticket problems and I ended up with a quintuple bypass. That's five. So for a period of about 18 months, you could say I was in the court of a prison. Well, kind of, you know. It certainly was confinement. And I honestly thought this sort of thing was finished. I thought, I'm 75, but if that's what you want from me, Lord, that's okay. But Father had other ideas. And there was one morning when he struck a button. And the last few months have been Blitzkrieg. 
There have been that many churches and movements and global stuff. and It, it has been two or three a week. It has been none. It's just been like an avalanche. And, but the difference is, it's effortless. It's totally effortless. I am so enjoying life. And I don't, and that which the enemy meant for evil has been turned for good. And he will do the same for you. And I, I, I just want some of you to hear this next statement. And I only gave you a little bit of my story so that you have understand that I understand when I make this statement. The tomb. The tomb is not the cancellation of the dream. It's the empowerment of it. God never starts anything he doesn't intend to finish. Why do you, why do you think Jesus, who is compassion personified, full of love, the love of God, made manifest, why would you think that one of, one of his best friends is crook and about to die and Jesus tarries where he was another three days. And the man does die. You'd be, you'd be understandable, it's understandable if someone thought like Lazarus' sister said, Jesus, if you'd only come in time, he wouldn't have died. You think Jesus didn't know that? But my friends, his delays are not his denials. If Jesus had come when they asked him to, Lazarus would have had an incredible testimony of a man that was sick who had been healed. But because Jesus waited until it appeared, not appeared, the man did die. He was dead three days. And you know what? Four days. And that's specific too because he didn't, he didn't come when he'd been dead six hours. Just in case there could be some question about how dead he really was. No, he waited until it was really hard on the nostril to even get near the tomb. Why? Oh, what a... He went from a man with a testimony potential of a healing to a man with a testimony, I've been dead four days and now I'm pumping harder. Well, what, what sort of testimony is ever going to get bigger than that? Pastor Jelly Beans, give them to Lazarus. A man's got a testimony that no one could have compared with. Do you think he didn't have a lot of credibility from that day on? We don't read much about him, but I'll tell you, wherever Lazarus went from that day on, he could talk on anything, and the audience would be listening. Why? Well, that's the guy who dead four days. God always knows what he's doing. Devil thought he had really done the deal on Jesus. Stuck him on a cross. 
put him in a tomb. But as I said before, the tomb is not the cancellation of the dream. It's the empowerment of it. I've had about three or four times in my life over the last five decades where the ministry for Margaret and I seem to be completely dead in the water, taken from us. One, one was a, a, a betrayal situation by someone we both trusted, and I won't go into all of that. All I'm saying is there been physical or betrayal or financial. We have had at least three, if not four, situations where I guess that's it. That's the finish. That's, we're in the tomb. In every occasion, not, not, not just one or two of them, but on every single occasion, the resurrected ministry was significantly greater than the former. And, and, and the Lord just spoke to me the other day, and I said, because all this ministry blasting out everywhere, and I, I said, Father, I said, this is all kind of amazing. I'm, don't you know I'm 75? And, and, and he said, and I was just being grateful, and I was thanking my father for it. And he said, yes, but are you willing to dream again? And I, it was one of those moments I just knew. I, I've got this wonderful prayer cabin called Shiloh that I built, and it's just for him and me. And, and, and he's, I got down on my knees, and he said, it's time to dream again. And something birthed inside of me, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm too scared. Um, <laughs> but I'm telling you now, I'll tell you about it a couple of years from now, is bigger than anything Margaret and I have ever looked at in our entire lives. But I, I tell you this now. It didn't come in spite of the last two years. It came because of the last two years. Because if God can trust you in the shadows, he knows he can trust you in the light. In Jeremiah 33, now we go to verse 3. Oh, but away, a little side statement. Three verses. I'm going to fill 40 minutes with it. Don't read the Bible to see just how much you can possibly get through in one sitting. When God gives you to a word like he spoke to me, uh, a couple of days ago about this session just said go to Jeremiah 33 well I, I you know what about the rest of the message now nah, just stick to Jeremiah 33 three verses will do it you see there's a there's such a depth and wealth in the word when you're looking when you're looking so verse 3 here's the answer to it all call to me and I will you see, you don't get the emphasis that the original Hebrew brings very clearly. Call to me and I will answer you. It's not a maybe. It's not an if. It's not qualified. If you call to me, I will answer you. Now, I need to make something clear. The word call there is, is an incredibly intense word. 
It's not, hi, how you doing, Cole? This is a deep inner groaning. This is a cry that bursts out of the human spirit and, and ascends to the heart of God. There's an intensity in this call. And he said, if you call unto me like that, I will answer you and show you, listen, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And it's very interesting because that phrase, you do not know, the word know there is genosco, and it means to see and experience. So he's saying, I, I, I not only want you to call unto me, that's number one, stop calling unto everybody else. Stop calling on all. Sometimes when we suffer challenges and setbacks, we'll run to everybody else on the globe except for the one person that's actually got the answers. And God understands that, but there must come to a moment when you separate yourself from all the babbling of voices and get aside in the secret place and return to the garden like it was in the beginning. It wasn't complicated in the beginning. Father just took a stroll in his garden once a day with his son and his daughter and they would chat and talk together and then they would hear the whispers of his heart and then they would say, Father, consider it done. We'll, 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 we'll take it from here. And they would rule the planet and do whatever they heard Father say in his heart. It's never changed. Never changed. Why do we complicate it? It's a father with sons and daughters that he loves. And he wants you to get close enough to his heart so that you can hear his whispers. And then have the courage to do what he says. But he says, call unto me. And he says, then I'm going to show you, oh, I love this, great and mighty things. So I'm not just going to show you the possibility of something nice. I'm going to show you great and mighty things. And once again, the original Hebrew, it means apparently inaccessible. It's, it's like a person standing that's never climbed a stepladder, standing at the base of Mount Everest, and God saying, run up the side of that one. It, it, it's got that feel to it in, in the original. And he says, so he's saying to you, and this is very important, he's not saying, just call to me. But call unto me, one with an intensity, but call unto me with a certain expectation. There was certain anticipation. He says, call unto me actually anticipating that what I show you is going to be completely out of your reach. Complete, like I said yesterday, completely illogical, completely unreasonable. Hey, you'll sleep better at night if you come to the conclusion that God isn't reasonable. He's not logical. He's not reasonable. He's God. And when you wake up in the morning expecting him to speak that which is illogical and unreasonable and beyond your... You see, 
I never can get over the fact that so many in the church believe for miracles, pray about miracles, preach about miracles, read books on miracles, and spend their entire life making sure that one is not necessary. If you want to go through life with what you can handle, God's gracious enough to let you. It's not until you can't do what he asked you to do. Yeah, you actually need a miracle. So call unto me and I will show you incredible, awesome, unbelievable things which you can't do, but me in you will do. All he wants from you is the unconditional obedience of your heart. And what I love about Jeremiah, about my own life and so many others, over the years that I've been so inspired by, when they go into that prison, when they go into that confinement, when they go into that tomb, when they go into that season of stripping away and difficulty and they keep that beautiful worship spirit. Sometimes even with all the pain, they still cry out. They still love God. They're still passionate about their worship. And, and, and God would intervene in a moment. But he, he knows if it can just do the course, if you can just hold your integrity, if you can just hold your praise another day or two, I tell you what, there's going to be an explosion. And where God takes you to the second time will be far greater than anything you've experienced in the past. Your dream is not dead. It's alive. It's alive. Lazarus was dead to everybody but Jesus. Jesus wasn't panicking. Why? Because he was the resurrection. I'm going to close. Are you ready for God to speak? Your father. Your father. Are you ready for him to speak the second time? Because I know that in my spirit, I walk through that door into this meeting, that all over this meeting, I could see them. I could see the deposits of previous dreams. Those daring, scary moments when you thought, wow, maybe, you know, awesome. Your dreams are alive. The Creator spoke them. I was wondering, just stand where you are. No, no, no. I'll rephrase that. It's an Irishman's prerogative to change his mind. I just want you to forget everybody around you. And I mean that. Forget everybody around you. You've got an audience of one. It's you and it's your father and you're back in the garden and if you feel the Lord has triggered a fresh hope in you 
that that which he spoke to you in former days, the wildest of dreams, the scariest of notions, the most outlandish possibility, but you really did believe it was God. If you want him to blow on those embers and let them burst out again with flames of fire inside of you that will lift you out of the confines of your humanity and lift you into that supernatural possibilities of fulfilling the will of God. If you want that, the resurrection of former passions and desires, then I just want you to stand where you are. Don't stand because others might. Everybody's got their time. But stand because in your heart of hearts, your father is talking to you. Your father is saying, it's not over. A new era is about to be born. Father, I just want to thank you right now. Lift your heart. There's a time to ask, but there's a time to receive. And I want you to forget everybody on the globe. It's you and your father. It's just you and your father. And I want you to receive the resurrection of his will, his purpose, his dream. And over these next two or three days, progressively, you will awaken in the mornings different. Suddenly, thoughts are coming back. Flame is coming back. Passion is coming back. Day by day by day, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing, until suddenly you realize that God has done it. Father, I pray, Lord, for every single person here in this building right now. I thank you, Lord, that every single person here is accepted unconditionally and loved indescribably because you are their father. You are their father. And I pray for the revelation of your fatherhood to every heart. Oh God, I pray, do that which no man can do. Holy Spirit, bring about the revelation of his fatherhood in the most wonderful, powerful commissioning way thank you father this next session is coming up lord one tonight tomorrow father every meeting let there be a watering let there be the bringing forth of destinies within the hearts of those that love you we give you alone the praise we love you father Thanks for listening. For more content, head to our website, davidmccracken.org.